0: The entrepreneur space loves to talk about learning from our mistakes and from our failures. But what does that actually look like in real life? What lessons are we supposed to be taking from it all? And how do we know we're taking the right Lessons. That's what we're digging into today on Business Mindset Mastery. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm your host, Heather Gray. I'm a mindset and leadership expert. You can find me over at choosetohaveitall.com. And this episode today is a follow up from yesterday's episode. Yesterday, we started a conversation that kind of spun off um, a listener letter and also some thoughts that I had about the Brene Brown quote that once we own our story, we can write the ending. And I think it's really a powerful process that we as individuals, as people and business owners can bring ourselves through when we can look at something that's happened how we have managed it, and determined what happens next. And in that, we are bound to F it up a little. We are bound to make a mistake, trip over ourselves, be really well-intentioned and still make a mistake. And other times we're going to make a mistake and not even see it coming. What we do next determines our character. What we do next determines our path, and it determines the ending to that particular chapter. And I think somehow, sometimes when people really get stuck in the mud or stuck in their own circular, cyclical way of thinking, getting out of their own way is really hard because they can't see past the mistake. What I'd really like you to do to make the most of today's episode is really to stop listening And listen to yesterday's episode first. Listen to the conversation I started with you all yesterday about rewriting the ending to the story because the conversation I want to have with you today is a little bit of a continuation of that. And, you know, the listener in yesterday's letter asked me, like, how do you just pick up from your mistakes? How do you just like F it up and then sort of dust yourself off and suddenly come and turn it into this magical, mystical podcast episode? And one of the things that I told her in response to that letter is that's not how this works. That's not how any of it works, that it's always a process of intentionally engaging in in the lesson, in the learning, in the feelings and in the experience that gets me to the other side. And I started this episode with you all today saying like, how do we know what lessons we're supposed to be getting? And what if we're not getting the right lessons? And I think those nervous questions, those worried well questions that we spin around things as if there's a right answer, as if when you trip and fall, you're specifically supposed to look at the lesson that that says watch where you're going rather than maybe the lesson should be wear a better b- pair of shoes when you're going to walk on cobblestones or something like that. How do you know the lesson you're supposed to take in any particular situation? My answer to that really is it doesn't matter so long as you're willing to keep learning because the lessons we're meant to learn, if we don't get them from a particular F up and from a particular screw up, life has this fun funny way of giving us a new opportunity to learn the same thing and you know this letter that I got uh yesterday this isn't the first time I've gotten a letter from someone who says you make it sound so easy that I just have to a b and c or you go through all these awful things and suddenly you can just be so you know gd wise about it right and I, that's, that's never the way I want to um, sort of put myself in this category, right? Where like I could just trip and fall and pick up and dust myself off and it becomes this shiny new podcast episode because that's not the way it works. And that's not how I experience it. And it isn't always that easy. Sometimes I'm going to admit that it is easy because it's a choice in the sort of the consequence of how I choose to move through the world is with this, you know, more positive attitude and with this intentional way of being. So sometimes, yes, dusting myself off is easy. But what I started to do is look at the worst mistakes I've made in my life. And I listed them out. Um, And I didn't list all of them out because then again, I end up in another marathon podcast episode. And I have been listening to your letters coming in telling me that I run a bit long and repetitive sometimes. So I really am trying to work on my talkative nature, take advantage of the fact that I do five episodes a week. So something I don't cover in full actual depth today can always be covered tomorrow. But I did look at the biggest mistakes I've made and the lessons that have sort of guided me since. And I thought if I was just kind of honest about things, even though some of these examples are repetitive of other podcast episodes you've heard from me, perhaps you'll learn from my example. One of the things that I want to reiterate from yesterday's episode, in case you didn't listen to me and stop listening to this episode now, listen to yesterday's first, and you're just still sticking with me, even though you don't have the Full context of the conversation is self-forgiveness. I really value that in my own life. I know I have made some whopper mistakes and I know that I am the cause of some deep hurts that people have felt and I have forgiven myself for those things. I don't always forget that they've happened because I do think the lessons I've learned have informed new choices and new actions I've made in the you know, in the future. So I don't just sort of say like, okay, I forgave myself moving on. I do think I use the experience and one of the ways I'm able to forgive myself is because I tell myself, well, I might make a mistake again, but I'm never going to make that mistake again. So I do use it to inform my actions and my words going forward, but I do practice self-forgiveness and self-acceptance, really just recognizing that I know who I am. I know my tendencies of where I tend to app it up and where I miss the mark. I forgive myself for it and I always try to do better next time. So with that in mind, you know, I always go to the first whopper of a mistake that I got, um, that I made. And that was, uh, I was in junior high, it was seventh or eighth grade and I got caught in a massive lie. You guys heard me talk about this on a podcast episode I did probably over a year ago where I talked about how I turned out okay in the end. And one of the lessons I learned just really on in junior high was the natural consequence that comes with lying because I had lied to my peer group about something to get attention, um, for other kids to to like me. And I spun all kinds of tales as a result of it and added all kinds of details because the story just ended up taking on a life of its own. And then I got busted in the most horrible way at the time ever where um, a girl's mom talked to my dad and said, hey, I heard your family's been going through X, Y, Z. And my father was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't even know what you're talking about. And so not only did my entire peer group, um, you know, find out about it. But my dad found out about it. So then in in my world at the time, because it was pretty small, everybody had found out that I had lied. And I told this story. And in all honesty, my friends, if you would listen to that episode of how I turned out okay in the end, up until that point, I would tell you I was a natural born liar and a natural born manipulator, that I knew how to play on um, people to get attention to get Get people to like me, to get people to engage with me, to be my friend, to cut it easy if I got a bad grade in school. And I had milked that for all it was worth until the moment when everyone found out and I couldn't sit in my own skin. I was so embarrassed. I felt so stupid and so small. And I, in my mind at the time, the whole school knew, which in reality was probably only my peer group. Um, and it just felt so awful and i remember like not being able to sleep and not wanting to go to school the next day or the day after and my dad basically being like kid like this is what comes with it you told these people these stories now you have to sit in class with them and i remember sort of bemoaning that it was such a small school and i i was just you know i was on the bus and i was you know heading to school and i was thought to myself you know what never again Like never again am I going to feel this way Because of something I did. I'm not going to try to tell stories to make friends. I'm not going to use my ability to get attention to get attention. I am going to do this differently because I never want to feel this bad again. Like it just, the knot in my stomach, the tension, the embarrassment, the like the desire to just run away (laughs) to some other place and live someplace else, like was just so strong that, like, basically, an entire child that I had built on lying um, got erased overnight. Um, I just I made that decision that the natural consequence of lying wasn't worth it that I, I couldn't sit with my conscience. I couldn't sit with myself and yes, nobody was gonna like me and nobody was gonna be my friend again but I was never gonna lose another friend because I had lied and I was never going to be embarrassed by adults that I really like respected and who I wanted to like me because I lied to get attention. And it became... This promise I made to myself and I think sometimes in our biggest F-ups we forget that part that like the natural consequence of screwing up is we're going to feel bad about it and we're supposed to by the way feel bad about it anybody who says oh don't worry about that everybody's human we all are we all make mistakes just let it go bullshit we're not supposed to just let it go because the natural consequence of being a jerk is we get to feel like a jerk because it's our conscience that's going to motivate us to stop us from doing bad things and making similar mistakes in the future. It makes me nuts in the parenting conversations where all of these parents want to kind of rescue their kids from their bad decisions, when in actuality, those kids need to sit with and connect with their conscience and their own personal sense of right and wrong so that they don't make that mistake again. Because I have to tell you, every single time I've thought about Stretching the truth or lying or not being honest on, you know, something important. I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie and imply that I never tell a white lie, but I certainly don't lie about the things that matter. And I tell the truth even when it's gonna be to my detriment and even when it's harder, it's gonna hurt somebody else's feelings or something as a result of that, you know, but like I never, like, I, my conscience kicked in so much that I don't do that behavior anymore. I don't engage in relationships that way anymore. And that's such a powerful lesson. So don't spare yourself your conscience. Don't just, you know, be in the there, there, just feel better, move along now. Make sure you allow yourself the moment of connecting to your conscience, your personal value system of what's right and what's wrong in order to decide who you're going to be going forward or knowing and recognizing and appreciating you're going to muck it up again. You're going to miss the mark. You're going to go left when you should have gone right, but you're not going to do so in a you know, an implicit, direct, intentional way. Or at least you're going to hope you don't or you'll end up sitting in that natural consequence again. So that, you know, that's an important thing is connecting to the lesson and connecting to the natural consequence because it's going to inform your ability and your choice to not do that going forward. And then sort of the next time and soon usually this is the first example that comes to mind. When somebody says what is the biggest mistake you've ever made? This is the example that you know it's bullseye full frontal on my brain I was 22 years old, maybe 23 with a master's degree. And my friends, I tell you, I had no business being 22 or 23 with a freaking master's degree in counseling. I needed to get myself some experience first. But thus, I ended up as a family and child therapist. And um, people were putting me (laughs) in control of uh, other people's kids when I was like, what? I, I think I was barely five years older than the kid I'm about to talk to you about. But I was working with this 17 uh, year old who, um, I, th- I can't remember his story, but he, it, I, I know his mom was mentally ill. I don't know if dad was ever on the scene or if dad had died or dad, you know, abandoned the family. I can't quite remember the story, but I saw two brothers, a 16 year old and a 17 year old, and they were in the foster care sy- sy- system. And I was working with a 17 year old and we had a really, really good relationship. Um, you know, I, I left out, right? Because it 22, I probably shouldn't have been given any 17-year-old advice, but we had a really good relationship, and he had really connected to me and really, you know, came to trust and respect me, and I got him out of a pretty deep, dark hole of depression, but one of the things in the course of that work he started to do is any a relationship got hard, anytime a relationship just became a little bit difficult or somebody became, you know, quote-unquote, too much, he just ended the relationship, so he ended relationships with friends when they didn't want to do things that he wanted to do. He ended, you know, he ended um, sort of mentorships with teachers when they said they were going to meet him after school and they didn't, that his expectation around perfection became so high because he wanted to abandon people before they abandoned him. Like the psychobabbler in me, even at 22, like I knew that that was what the deal was. I knew I had the skill set to connect with that. But he said at one point, he was sitting in a session with me. It was sometime between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And he said, you know, my brother's such a pain in the ass. Like, he never wants to do anything. He never wants to go anywhere. I'm either dragging him, going by myself, or stuck home. Like, I just, like, it would be so much easier if we weren't friends. Like, yeah, I'm always, he's always going to be my brother. And yeah, we're always going to be in the system together. But, like, I don't have to be his friend. I don't have to go out with him after school. I don't have to hang with him. I can just be on my own and do my own thing. And without missing a beat, I said to him, so you want to end your relationship with your brother a couple of weeks before the holidays. Who do you think you're going to call on Christmas? Because I don't work on that day. Like, I I, I didn't even stop, my friends. I, I, I didn't even take a moment. I just got so gosh darn full of myself and my own wisdom, and I delivered tough love, and I didn't even stop to think about it. And when I tell you I broke him, and I watched this... Inner resolve and this bravado, and this puffed up version of a really hurt, crumbling, scared 17 year old become this puddle in front of me. Like, I promise you, that is not an exaggeration. I hurt him so deeply, so quickly. And so immediately, and he just left my office and I couldn't chase him down. I couldn't reach him. He didn't return my calls for the longest time. Finally, I just, you know, I wrote him a letter of apology and sort of, you know, laid on my own sword and was as vulnerable as possible, trying to make amends and trying to get forgiveness, but also really trying to make sure he was okay. And I sent the letter through his DSS worker and his DSS worker really was a fan of me and had my back and basically, you know, said to the kid, listen, you don't have to write back. You don't have to acknowledge this, but you know, I'm going to require of you that you don't leave this office until, you know, like you, you hear this letter. So you're either going to read it yourself or you're going to listen to me read it. And, um, And the kid read it and uh, didn't respond right away, but eventually did show up in my office and knocked on my door um, and said, can we talk? And he accepted my apology in person and we you know, moved on from it. But I when I tell you, I have never forgotten that. I've never forgotten the power of my words, the power that um, my insight can be used for good, or it can be used for evil. And that just because I can see a whole picture for somebody, I can't use that against them. That the truth has to be carefully kept and that like yes I'm insightful and yes I'm really good at dialing in really fast but I can't ever rush to the ending of someone else's story because the consequence of just delivering tough love and being sarcastic like yeah I felt like the badass therapist for maybe the 10 seconds that it took me to get those words out of my mouth and then I felt like crap for months it made me question my ability to do the work and made me think whether or not I had the responsibility to show up. It had me questioning everything. And that has absolutely had me like thinking carefully about my word choice. And yes, you all know me to drop, you know, truth bombs. You all know me to call it like it is and to be super direct and super immediate, but I hope in equal breath you also know that I work so hard to be loving and compassionate and gentle and nurturing in my delivery that I never just want to tell somebody what's up and leave them to it. But I that lesson my friends took me a while, but it has absolutely changed the way I move through the world and the way I do the work. So it was, you know, and everybody who talks to me about it and clinical supervisors I've had in the, you know, the past have said, this kid has probably either A, forgotten all about this, has no idea what you've been talking about and, you know, struggling with for so long, or you have given him a really powerful example that an adult in a position of power can admit that they're wrong and ask for forgiveness and he could take it on the chin and accept that. And yes, all of that's true. And yes, yeah, all these years later we're at the 20 year mark right (laughs) that happened when I was 22 I'm 42 now it still feels that bad and I kind of hope it always feels that bad because I do think it it informs a lot of how I show up on this show and how I show up in my work but um, I hope I never have to learn a lesson like that anytime soon Um, and then when I sort of look at uh, some of the more subtle lessons, not the like gigantic F-ups and not the like in your face, because I think sometimes the gigantic F-ups, like those lessons are really obvious. But one of the things, um, and again, you guys have heard me talk about this on the show before is that like, you know, when I first started my social work career, I was working in, um, residential health. So I was working with teenage kids um, in residential treatment. So severely emotionally disturbed kids who had a lot of acting out behaviors. um, And it's not an exaggeration when I say I was really, really good at the work. Um, I had a very special talent for working with the hardest to reach kids. Um, I had this way of kind of being able to work with them and de-escalate them really quickly. But as you know, because you're listening to the show, that is work I no longer do anymore. Um, that is work that I am wholly incapable of doing ever again. And that's because I became a workaholic. I got obsessed with my work. I got obsessed with doing it all the time. I don't remember ever being miserable. But you've heard me talk about this on other episodes of around mistakes and lessons is I didn't preserve my talent and no one else encouraged me to do it. And so I, you know, again, I was young when I got my master's. I. I did um, a combined kind of degree program where because I got my bachelor's in social work, I was able to get my master's in a year. I had no business <laughs> doing that. But um, I, you know, so I was, I was all in at 22. And at 22, you just don't know that you're going to run out of gas someday. At 22, you think that your talent has no limits, has no bounds, has no end. And, and it never occurred to me that I would run out of it. And it's not that I don't still have that talent because I do kind of believe that if you put that kid in front of me again and they were climbing the walls, I, I do think it all kick in and the muscle memory would kick in and I get that kid not climbing the walls and, and less time that it could take some people. But I can't do that work and be a functioning adult for any length of time anymore. It, it really, it just burned me out because I didn't nurture the talent. And I think sometimes business owners are at the risk of doing that. I think a lot of people, when you love what you do, it doesn't even occur to you to take a break because why do you want to take a break? Because honestly, like when I was 22, 23, my friends were meeting up at bars and getting drunk and having a couple of drinks. And like, why would would anybody want to do that when you can talk a kid out of committing suicide? When you can intervene with a kid and get them from stopping an assaultive behavior. Like who would want to just hang out on a bar stool when you could be changing and saving the world, right? Like listen to how obnoxious that sounds because that's how obnoxious I felt at the time. And that was the story I told myself. Like who would want to do anything else ever? And as a result of doing it nonstop, working regularly over 50 hours a week with these kids, getting like so many, I got assaulted so many times and sent to the hospital so many times. And, you know, all of that without a break, without respite, without using my vacation time that I had like well earned because I didn't want to take a break. As a result, look at all the kids I no longer help. Like, let's just be honest and real. Like, what a massive consequence to that. Because I know that I have the impact by working with business owners to help them change the lives of a lot of people. And I am not going to devalue what I do now. I'm not going to make it small or say it's less than. But I am going to say it is wildly different than saving a child from ending their own life before they get old enough to realize that this isn't how their story is going to end. Like, Really different, and because I didn't give it a rest, and I didn't give it a break, and I didn't preserve my talent, I don't get to do it anymore. And that is a really hard lesson to learn. Um, and I'm not, you know, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to work myself to the bone, um, even when I love it. And I, you know, it's funny, is I, I made, I almost made the same mistake with this podcast at one point in time. I was so sort of obsessed and super focused on it that it was all I was doing. And it kind of at the risk of my own business and at my own um, brand building, um, because you can't build, <laughs> you can't really build a business offering free content five days a week. It's a really good lead generator. It's a really good way to build that know, like, and trust factor. But as the boss of my business, I do have to show up and do other things. And I really do recognize that that burnout experience and that like crashing and burning experience, like, it is a lesson I had to learn again. I apparently, like I said, at the beginning of the show, didn't quite get it the first time. So life gave me another opportunity, but I I didn't preserve my talent. And as a result, I don't get to do the thing that I so very much loved. So I want you guys to pay attention to that. Um, and then when I think about another lesson, um, and this is one that I don't know that I've talked so much on the show about, but I certainly like, and it, you know, I even wondered as I was, um, as I was sort of browsing this and thinking about this, if this becomes its own podcast episode at some point in time, it probably will because I do think it's important. But the number of times in my life I have prioritized people more than they've prioritized me, Um, the number of times I have sort of taken care of someone's feelings who weren't really taking care of my own feelings, the number of times I was prioritizing friendships when clearly friendships with me weren't being taken care of, when I was paying attention to people's feelings when they wouldn't be doing the same thing for me, Um, I've really learned over time that before I go the extra mile, before I take myself outside my comfort zone, before I compromise time on my own or any of that stuff, to really ask myself, would this person do this for me? And as a result, over time, admittedly, my tribe is smaller because the reality is, is I only want the people who are going to love me as deeply, as wholly as I love them and as completely as I do. Because if you can't, like, I don't have the time. um, And I, I know that and own that. But the reality is, is I learned that by giving people entirely too much time. I could wax poetic about this guy um, that I broke up with or I, that's a lot. And I told you I stopped lying. I didn't break up with him. He left me. Um, we had plans. Uh, we'd been together and dating for like a year or so. Um, and we had plans to have a long weekend together. And it was going to be the first time I was going to um, you know, see his uh, friends that lived out of state. Um, and the dude didn't show up. And uh, he didn't call, and he didn't explain, and I got confirmation that he didn't just die. And when I look at how unhealthy of a response I had to that, I'm so embarrassed because clearly, like hindsight, you know, again, another probably my gosh, you no, know it's really funny is, guys, I think it was 22 years ago. Like I, I actually I think it was probably the same year I screwed up with that kid. Um, but uh, I am. Um, I I just I just decided he must have been having a really hard time, that he had gone into some really dark hole, or he got scared by the new level of commitment. So I you know I kept in touch, and I didn't like I I, I super stalked him a little bit, um, probably in that like crazy ex girlfriend kind of way, but not for long. But mostly was just like, hey, I was really kind of worried about you. I hope you're okay, and I didn't sort of ever hold accountability with him. I didn't ever say like you made plans with me and you bailed. Everything I did after was you wouldn't have done this if you weren't like hurt people hurt people. So you must have really been hurt. And I was with that guy for a year. And that relationship put me in therapy for two years. And the idea that I was going to let another human being get that much of my time and that much of my energy and change that much of my story about myself, like, who was I to let any guy do that? Because he, like, he didn't have that power. I gave him that power. I let him, like, take up that much space in my universe and take up that much space in my story and that is all on me and i wish i could tell you that that was the last time i did it but again that theme emerged and i didn't get the lesson the first time is that like giving people the benefit of the doubt and taking care of them more than i take care of myself like didn't get that that first time and so then i had to do it again when the ending of a best friend and that relationship happened several years later in my, you know, later adult life when I should have been wiser. But again, this tendency of prioritizing people who had stopped prioritizing me and the heartbreak that that feels and giving yourself away. One of the phrases my clients hear all the time from me is like, why do they deserve and earn a piece of you? Like, if they don't want all of you, why are you giving them a piece of yourself? And I say this when people are chasing bad relationships, when they're pa- <laughs> chasing bad job opportunities, there's all kinds of situations, but there's so often when like people don't choose us and they don't prioritize us, but they still get to be friends with us, or they still get to have the benefit of our like two cents business-wise, or they still get a networking opportunity. I think we do this entirely too much. But if someone hasn't earned all of us, I would make darn sure that they don't don't get a piece of you and obviously there's caveats and there's exclusions to that but like as a general rule of thumb I've learned that lesson the hard way and I I think I will spare you a lot of therapy (laughs) maybe put myself out of business a little bit so I have to be careful how loud I spread that message but don't prioritize people who aren't prioritizing you Um, And then when I look at other sort of like more less dramatic, less intense, less kind of therapy inducing mistakes, the first thing that comes to mind is when I was running my private practice, business was easy. Um, I didn't have to market. I didn't have to advertise. I had a wait list. I had really good consistent income. And I was so unhappy with what I did. I was like pulling, it, it was it was constantly a battle with myself to not pull out like my eyebrows one by one because sitting and listening to people who were not willing to change their lives, but just wanted me to be like, they're there, feel better. Like I just hit the end of my road in that business. And I, I just didn't prioritize it and I didn't, take care of it. And I didn't look at why I was so unhappy. I constantly said, well, it's making money. It's contributing to the household. Like I'm successful. I have a waiting list. Like I don't, I'm not even advertising and I have enough business to manage. And I gave my income so much more power over my life satisfaction. Um, so not only did I not, again, fail to nurture my talent, because again, if we don't get these lessons right the first time, we get plenty of opportunities to relearn them. I didn't, like, I didn't prioritize my mood. I allowed myself to be deeply unhappy with my life for 30 hours a week and for no reason other than like I think it was this is what I had done. This is how I was making money and I trapped myself into that worldview and I was so afraid of losing the income and I've absolutely like lost the consistency of income. I've absolutely made business building way harder for myself, but like I can't, I can't even remember how many like years back, if my private practice was a 10 year process, I don't even know how many years I have to go back towards the end of 10. If it was at five years, if it was at seven years of having it, where like, I really just stopped liking it. And to be that unhappy for that long. Um, Like, why did I do that to myself without trying to make a change simply because I was making money? So I I think that was a really important lesson. And, you know, one of the things, too, that that then ends up bringing to me is that, you know, as a result, I, I so just wanted to run away from that business and start a new business. And, you know, when I was building the online business thing, I didn't even know about online businesses at the time. I had hired a business coach to kind of help me and direct me and help me decide what I wanted to do because I knew I still wanted to work for myself. I knew that I still wanted to own my own business. I felt like I had too dialed in of a skill set to really do other things. And she was the one who said, hey. Hey, I think you like. I think you need to take a step away from mental health and really pay attention to your ab- ability to really use your insight to help people find you know their stuck spots and their blind spots. You know, and you would be really good with the corporate type because they're action takers and they do things. And you could have a business like I have a business because she herself worked online and she was the one who introduced me to this. But I had had no concept of online business, um, and you know, and I hadn't hired her to help me build an online business. I I helped her. I hired her to help me figure out what the heck I was supposed to do next. So once I figured out, like, okay, yep, it seems like an online business is the way to go. I just don't, you know, and you've heard me talk about this before, so I don't need to go down that rabbit hole. But I like I dove into all the free content and I like Pat Flynn my way (laughs) through business building and delivering you know, my best stuff for free so they would want to buy from me and all of that, right? And I I just, you know, I bought into every visibility strategy and putting myself out there. And as a result, like, I, I learned the lesson the hard way that if you build it, they don't actually come. I never, like, opened the door and said, hi, here I am. This is what I do. This is how I serve. And will you please buy from me? I never asked for the sale. I never showed up for myself. I just assumed they'd read these. Like amazing words that were dripping off my blog posts, and they would just be clamoring to work with me. And, you know, and in theory, like a lot of people were like, Are you sure about that? Like, you can just write these articles and you can build a business. And I wasn't sure about it, and I didn't buy into it because I ended up confusing the likes and the engagement and the shares and the attention for some business building strategy when my revenue wasn't changing. And I largely ignored my gut. I largely was like, well, all these people are making way more money than I am and this is how they did it, so this is how I must do it. And, you know, and that reminds me of, you know, the episode yesterday and yesterday's listener letter because I did the same thing she did at some point. I bought into the gurus and I bought into the strategies and I bought into the hype when in actuality I forgot my, like, that I built a, like, regardless if I liked it and regardless of the fact that I burnt it down at the end, I was already capable of building a successful business my way, with my messaging, my words, and my approach. So why did I immediately say, like, oh, I've never done it online before, so I have to go follow all these strange people I've never heard of to learn how to do it online, rather than like, hey, I'm really good at building relationships. The reason why my last brick and mortar was so gosh darn successful is I am awesome at relationships. So I'm going to start making relationships, and I'm going to start connecting with people, and I'm going to start showing people who I am. They're going to believe me, and then they're going to buy from me. And it has taken me, and I'm still learning this lesson, my friends, but... It has taken me that time to really know and accept that like my gut instinct gets to rule the day, even though I'm not a business strategist. Because A, I was raised by a business person. I worked for my father in his business for the, my entire childhood. So I know a lot about business. I ran my own successful business for 10 years. The only reason why, aside from the fact that I now live in California and no longer exists is it wasn't working for me. but I was still working for it. I was still bringing in the revenue and the numbers. So I do get to decide the business strategies that make the most sense for me. I don't have to follow the pack. I absolutely get to do it my way. But I have tripped and fallen and cried and given up and discussed closing shop and gone to the job ads just as much as all of you listening at some point in time because it's not a clear, linear, direct path. Like, we find it by getting distracted. We find it by learning about a new act, a new idea and a new option and exploring it. And sometimes, yes, those super shiny, high investment opportunities come across our desks and we think, oh my gosh, like if it's going to cost me $3,000, then wow, look at what I'm probably going to make in response to that. Because who would charge $3,000 for a program that doesn't have an ROI, et cetera, et cetera. We tell those stories and like, I'm not immune to that thinking or mentality, but ultimately I've learned and seen like from my business experience, you know, with my brick and mortar and in like what I've sort of created for myself here now is that when I build according to my own design, it draws the right people to me. I'm preserving myself from burnout because I'm not chronically doing work that I don't enjoy and I am celebrating my talent. All of those things, if you listen and pay attention, are the values I've accumulated from all of the mistakes I've made that have gotten me to this point. And that is what the most important thing is. If we accumulate these lessons, if we collect them, if we don't just do it, you know, Elsa's style and let it go from the rooftops, but we know and own our story It is just like Brene Brown says, we get to write the ending. And that's how you learn from your mistakes. That's how you get on the other side. You do get to choose a new direction. And you don't just have to sit in that choice. You do have to do the actions that come after it. But at any point in time, my friends, you really can learn from your mistakes. You really can rewrite the ending to your story. And it really and truly can start today. Thank you so much for joining me in this conversation. I hope you have found it beneficial. I always worry with these episodes that they get a little too self-indulgent and too preachy. So hopefully you have found value here. If you are in a stuck spot and you can't get out from under it, if you can't find your way from a mistake and you still haven't grabbed onto that lesson, you know, I I invite you to continue the conversation with me. I invite you to let me help you. You can do that one of... three ways I'm gonna give you three ways today right you can write to me over at heather at choose to have it share your question so it can become a future podcast episode use the link to book a discovery call with me so you and I can just hop on a call to see where you're hurt and where you're struggling and how I might be able to help or just like freaking get out of your own way and book me for a one-in-one one, one and done call and where you're gonna lay it out on the line I'm gonna offer my two cents and we will get you on your way as fast as possible Possible. three ways to get out of the mud out of the suck and out of the shit that is what I'm offering you today thank you so much for this conversation I truly hope you found value here today and I really look forward to talking to you next time bye for now